Festive feasting is one of the highlights of the holiday season. Many people in the U.S. traditionally enjoy a juicy ham or golden turkey, and popular culture has reaffirmed those dishes. Catherine, this turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. Okay, Eddie. But there are those who enjoy foods that speak of their heritage and family traditions. We elves try to stick to the four main food groups. Candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup. I'm not sure if anyone could keep up with Buddy the Elf, but festive foods are a big part of holiday gatherings. It just wouldn't be the holidays without that one special dish you have only this time of year. You're listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm producer Kaylee Monahan. In this episode, I asked some of Phoenix's foodies to share their untraditional food traditions. When it comes to closing out the year, several rituals are on my mind. Baking, sipping, sampling, and feasting. I can't wait for Christmas Day when the beautiful, tender, rose-colored corned beef comes steaming out of the pressure cooker, the little yellow peppercorns glistening like golden pearls. The delicious saltiness of the beef makes my mouth water even now. The aroma is one I always associate with December 25th, but the menu doesn't stop there. We always have red cabbage steamed together with sauerkraut and Mama Stanberg's hot pink cranberry relish. In fact, a lot of our dishes are bright pink in color. And let's not forget the homemade rosemary rolls, baked into clover shapes that pull apart to create a perfect warm pocket for melting butter. Creamy mashed potatoes fluffed to perfection with sparkly red wine. It wasn't until I got older that I realized my family's traditional Christmas dinner was very unlike other people's. Corned beef and cabbage, they say, with judgment in their eyes. Isn't that a St. Patrick's Day food? Not in my family. In my youthful mind, turkey was for Thanksgiving, and ham is what you put on sandwiches for lunch. St. Patrick's Day was reserved for bangers and mash. No. The king of festive Christmas food is corned beef and cabbage. And for those of you foodie historians out there, you'll know that corned beef isn't even a traditional Irish dish. It's an Irish-American meal. But that's a story for another episode. What I discovered as a child is that we all have our unique traditions this time of year. Not all of us celebrate Christmas, and some of us aren't religious at all. But regardless of one's heritage and cultural upbringing, the end of the year brings some unique food traditions that aren't always so ubiquitous. For some, 
recipes have been passed down the generations. For others, food traditions are just beginning. In my quest for some delicious holiday fare, I turned to Andy Berlin, the food critic here at the Arizona Republic. Andy grew up Jewish, but says her family didn't always do a big Hanukkah celebration. The holidays were kind of a like hit or miss situation for me when I was young. Holiday food traditions are something Andy is reclaiming for herself as an adult, exploring both the traditional foods of Hanukkah, but also adding in her own flavor interests into the side dishes. And these you won't necessarily find on any other table. So I used to work at a cheese shop, so I'm really big into cheeses and appetizers. So I go hard on the appetizers, and what I've been doing is I like to get a bagel chip and then put goat cheese on it and then have smoked salmon. So it's like a little hors d'oeuvre. Um, maybe put a caper on there. So it's like a mini, a mini gourmet bagel, you know? And then I love to have fresh olives on the table. I had like a nice spread with cucumbers and vegetables and... I had a romesco sauce, like a few different dips. But yeah, and then another thing that I like to do, I, I, I found this recipe years ago online. It's, uh, it's a cocktail. It's like a batch-made cocktail, and it's called Pharaoh's Punch. Yeah, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of nasty. <laughs> Oftentimes, new food traditions are sprung out of a very specific moment that becomes a lasting memory. The traditional food doesn't have to be anything specific. Sometimes it just happens randomly, you know? Like this year when I was making Thanksgiving, I'm in a new place and I have fig trees in the back. And my, my friend came up from Tucson to spend Thanksgiving with me and she noticed that the fig trees were producing figs. And so we just plopped some of them off and ate some of them with our cheese plate, the appetizer. And that was like the best thing that I ate during Thanksgiving, you know, were these fresh figs from the tree. And, you know, when I think back about that, that's going to be my memory of Thanksgiving. And it's not necessarily something traditional that you would you would always eat, but it's something that sticks with you and something, something important that you want to recreate again. If anyone knows about holiday food traditions, then it's local journalist Amy Silverman, the creator of Eating Christmas, an annual event that's part of the live reading series, Barflies. She's Jewish as well, but has distinct memories of wanting to experience Christmas when she was small. The only food memory I have related to Christmas from growing up is that my mother bought blue and white stockings to hang by the mantle because we were desperate for Christmas, or at least I was. I don't recall if my sister was. And she felt like blue and white, you know, indicated Hanukkah and Judaism. It made no sense to me. And and I don't remember much being in the stockings, which of course was the exciting part, but I do remember there being a pack of Trident gum in the toe of mine. That, that is my Christmas food memory, hence my obsession. 
husband, Ray Stern, who is the state politics reporter at the Arizona Republic, has Irish heritage, like me. And growing up, Irish soda bread became Christmas breakfast in his childhood home. My dad started making it. He's not the Irish part of the family. He's the uh, German side of the family. But he really loved making Irish soda bread. Both um, he and, and my mom made it every Christmas and, and had it ready for Christmas morning as far back as I can remember, actually. Usually they made it with raisins, but they always made a special one for me that didn't have raisins in it because I prefer the pure Irish soda bread. Unique to the Stern Silverman household is also a sausage stuffing recipe passed down from Ray's mother. I can definitely tell you what's in it. It's, it's not very secret, although maybe it is. I'm not sure where my mom got it from, um, but I think from my dad's side of the family. Fortunately, I never asked her. But the tradition will continue because she left this beautiful little recipe. It's very short, but I've, I've uh, you know, I printed it out a long time ago, and so I always have to take it out and look at it every year, even though I know how to make the stuff by now. It's, it's pretty basic, really. Um, one of the key things that you have to do with it is after you boil the uh, sausage in, in a pot with water, you don't dump the water out <laughs> because that's a key ingredient. So yeah. you don't want to watch this this sausage being made. Right, yeah. you really don't. We don't I mean, make the, we buy the Jimmy Dean pack. It's yeah. pretty unhealthy, I'm sure. Though the recipe is simple, you can see the light in both their eyes as they fondly remember Mrs. Stern. As a dual holiday household, celebrating Hanukkah and Christmas, Amy has also embraced the common holiday tradition of baking delicious delectables but it's her pink holiday cookies that are a family hit that everyone looks forward to each year. I think probably the first year we were together, we were living in a little condo in Tempe, and we decided to, well, maybe I decided to, and you were nice and went along with it, have a cocktail party, and I made Christmas cookies, and all I had was a star cookie cutter. So that's, I've used the same Christmas cookie recipe from the days I worked at the Scottsdale Progress in the, Oh, early 90s, and pretty much the same cookie cutter, so I always make star cookies at Christmas. The tradition was sprung from a desire to do something Christmassy, and the necessity to have something sweet for that party. And now it can't be the holidays without those pink star cookies. For Robert Pela, the Phoenix New Times culture critic, his holiday feast harkens back to a Southern Italian tradition. The Feast of the Seven Fishes was originally the Vigil, which was a Christmas Eve dinner among Southern Italians, not Sicilians, but Italians living on the boot in the South. And the Vigil was about eating before the fast, so you would eat fish, while waiting for the Christ child to be born at midnight. Apparently he was born right at midnight. I don't know. Some Italian immigrants brought the tradition with them to America, and you'll find this feast within some families. But much like Andy Berlin reclaiming Hanukkah, Robert took on the Feast of the Seven Fishes tradition for himself and his husband. This despite the fact that his mother despised the tradition. December 24th every year was just about cleaning fish that yesterday had been alive in buckets in the pantry. Oh, she hated that. <laughs> And she says, she told me when, when, she was, uh, when I was a young man, 
that she had resolved when she was a child that when she grew up that she would never have the Feast of the Seven Fishes. She remembered, um, you know, cleaning the octopus and the squid and having to cut the eel into little bite-sized pieces. Oh. It really bothered her. So she, she didn't do it. When I was growing up, I didn't have it. But the tradition has returned to the family through Robert, though he admits he can't exactly remember what prompted him to start it. But he says it's really fun. It's become our own tradition, um, which I think is important, particularly because my husband is Jewish. He wasn't raised with any Christmas traditions, but always had a real fondness for, for Christmas, which is why we have five Christmas trees, because, um, you know, you start buying Christmas ornaments and pretty soon you have way too many Christmas yeah, ornaments and way too many trees. One year we started, I'm going to say about 20 years ago, we started doing um, one gift on every night of Hanukkah and one gift on each of the 12 days of Christmas. And I think we did that for about 10 years until finally we were like, okay, we just have too much stuff now. We, we're out of ideas and we were living together by then, you know, um, and, and ha I had to put everything, I had to find a place for all of these. What was that, 24 36 gifts every night. It's just too much. So. <laughs> Each year, Robert and his husband keep it fresh by serving different fishy dishes. So it's never exactly the same menu. And it's a long meal, you know, even if you start early. Um, this year, we're taking the menu and spreading it out over the whole day. So we're going to have lox and bagels for breakfast, and that'll be the first fish. And then for lunch, we're going to have moule frites, which we learned to eat in southern France, in Provence. Um, and a crab-stuffed tomato that I started making recently at my home in Ohio. And then, um, kind of midday, like with cocktails at around 5 o'clock, we're going to make uh, homemade fish sticks. <laughs> so... And then our, our dinner will be um, more of the traditional things that we've, um, that we've had for dinner during the Feast of the Seven Fishes before. This year, instead of a Caesar with anchovies, we're going to do a caprese salad with anchovies. We're doing a gazpacho with shrimp. Oh, and lobster mac and cheese. Quick, before it gets so trendy, it's no longer... Mmm, so <laughs> sign me up. But what holiday feast would be complete without a holiday drink? For that, I turn to PJ Barron, the director of bars for Allium Hospitality. PJ has been mixing drinks in the Valley for 10 years and helped design and oversee the drink menus at the Arizona Grand Resort and Spa and the Hotel Valley Ho. And now I'm with a brand new restaurant group opening three restaurants here in downtown Chandler. When I tapped PJ for stories about unique family food traditions, he said not only did he have one, but he would make us a cocktail inspired by it. So this is gonna be a martini version of my traditional um, holiday cocktail in my family. We always do a crock pot of spiced and spiked apple cider. Um, put it in the crock pot as we go to bed on Christmas Eve, and then by the time we wake up, the whole house smells like it, and we start adding more and more whiskey as the day goes on. 
So I'm gonna start with two ounces of Maker's Mark, which is a bourbon that always to me tasted like apples. So this is usually what my family will put into the actual apple cider crock pot. Now instead of apple cider, we're gonna use frankly organic apple vodka, um, which is an all organic product made in Austin, Texas, but the dudes are from here. Um, it's uh, a couple of dudes from Scottsdale that still live in town with their families. We're gonna do one full ounce. We're gonna do an orange liqueur. Normally we would do orange slices or orange peels in the crock pot. So think of like a triple sec or Cointreau. So it's just a little bit more flavorful. We also do lemon peels and lemon wheels, so I'm gonna do a little lemon juice. I'm also, for this one, gonna throw in just a little bit of yuzu juice, just to accentuate that citrus without making it taste too much more like lemon. Really still want the apple and orange to come through. So I'm gonna shake this and then strain out the ice because we're gonna do something really special with it. In order to make this a frothy martini, I'm actually gonna add the water from burrata cheese. It works the same as egg whites. You can use mozzarella water or whatever you want. You can even use the water that um, garbanzo beans come in. But in this case, I thought we would give it kind of a uh, picnic vibe to bring those summer moods into Christmas. So we've got apples, we've got cheese, we've got a little bit of red wine, and together that's all gonna make this martini. So I'm just using one ounce of the burrata water, which would be the equivalent of like using one, the white from one egg. This is called a dry shake, which is ironic because everything in here is liquid. So I'm gonna make this a New York style sour by adding just a little bit of red wine. We're gonna pour it in real slow so that it floats between the martini and the foam on top. This is a super Tuscan, nice Italian blend. My brother-in-law is Italian, and so I always joke that I'm half Italian on my brother's side. <laughs> and so this way his family's represented in the cocktail too. And then I'll just make a little swirl, make it nice and beautiful. And hey, it's Christmas morning somewhere, right? Cheers. What makes these food traditions so central to our lives? Many of them are linked to deep memories rooted in early childhood. The tantalizing smell of food cooking in the kitchen. The fanciful twinkle of lights on rooftops. It's the sensation of flour on your hands as you help roll out the cookie dough and the clink of crystal as you cheers with family and friends. Non-alcoholic bubbly for the kids, of course. I think the great chef and author Anthony Bourdain put it best when he said, context and memory play powerful roles in all the truly great meals in one's life. Shopping list, gonna check it twice. Christmas pudding, look at the price. Don't forget the main course this year. I'm running around. That's it for this episode of Valley 101. I'm your producer, Kaylee Monahan. 
be sure to head over to azcentral.com for the cocktail recipe and some pictures of the foods you heard described in this episode. And dear listeners, we would love to see and hear about your own holiday food traditions. You can tweet them at us at azcpodcasts or email them to us at podcasts at azcentral.com. The main course has gone, they're all gonna shout No turkey for me And if you have more questions about the Phoenix food scene or about the Valley in general, submit them to our team at valley101.azcentral.com And if you're a regular listener of our show, please consider supporting it by subscribing to azcentral.com And as always, thank you for listening to Valley 101 a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Also, if you are a fan of Arizona politics, be sure to check out The Gaggle, our sister podcast that breaks down local issues and helps you keep up with the state's political news. I got my bags filled to the top. Merry Christmas to all of you. That wraps up this episode. We'll catch you all next week. Pudding. Look at that price. Don't forget the main boards this year.